When Jesus heard that Herod had killed his cousin John, who was known as the baptizer, he sought a place of solitude, a place to pray and to process all that was going on. This was a foreboding sign of events to come, and it was not lost on Jesus. As Matthew tells the story, it all came down at Herod's birthday party. Think about this just a moment. The contrast between these two feasts, these two banquets. Herod's birthday party with its partying, dancing, political intrigue, and manipulations. And this gracious table set by our Lord When word comes to Jesus of John's death, and particularly how he died, that he had his head cut off and presented at the birthday party of Herod, when word gets to Jesus, he seeks solitude by way of a boat that was on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is not that big. And as he headed toward his destination, the crowds that had been following Jesus were able to walk to that place before Jesus got there. So that when he arrived, they were asking once again, if they might receive healing from his hand. And Jesus, although swept away, I am sure with his thoughts, looked at them as Matthew tells the story here with great compassion. When the disciples saw that the day was coming to its close, And that Jesus needed to begin to wind down, I'm sure that they were sending him messages from the back of the room, like Fred does for me occasionally, you know. (laughs) You don't realize that he sends these messages to me, not necessarily in the sermon now. He's not doing that, but he does tell me if my microphone is not on and he sends me these messages. You can imagine the disciples that are trying to get Jesus to wind down compassionately themselves as they look at the situation and they have already surmised that if there is going to be enough time for these many people that are gathered here to make it to some close by village and they would have scattered in many different directions to find something to eat and then to get back to some place to lodge, if they were going to have time for that, they needed to be on the move at that moment. But then Jesus speaks this impossibility to them with these 5,000 plus people that were gathered there. He says, you feed them and asks what they have for offering this meal 
and they admit that it is meager. Five loaves of bread and two fish. But then Jesus blessed what they brought him. He broke the loaves and he gave it to the disciples to share with those that were gathered. And who knows what happened? We don't have that told in the Bible. I mean, anything could have happened and it may be that you have your own notion. It may be that you're thinking right now that Jesus turned the stones into bread that were there. We know that Satan believed that Jesus certainly had that power, right? Or it may be that you are thinking to yourself that the baskets in which these loaves of bread were placed for distribution became sort of like this bottomless, these bottomless baskets for whenever they reached there, there was always an extra loaf in order to hand out to the people. Some of you may be surmising to know what Jesus did was to set in motion this great act of sharing so that when those who were in the front of the crowd saw what Jesus did in breaking the bread and giving it back to his disciples, that it set in motion in their minds the idea that they too should at this time share with those that were around them anything that they might have. Regardless of what happened, it was a miracle. As I remember hearing this story as a child, I was always amazed with the idea that there were 12 baskets that were left over. And I had imagined in my mind that baskets of about this size uh, were left over. I don't know how big the baskets were, but I want to imagine that with you just a little bit today. And don't count too closely because I don't have 12 baskets. I couldn't find that many to pick up this morning. But um, the baskets, I would assume, were of all different sizes and shapes. And some of them were quite large, perhaps. And as they uh, began to pick up the leftovers of what was there, they began to imagine that this was a part of the abundant overflow of what God had made possible through the blessing of this meal. The more I've thought about this, I'm not sure that that's what was on the disciples' mind nor what was on Jesus' mind at the time. For the baskets that were filled with the leftovers would have been significant had the size of the crowd been much smaller, but we know that the size of the crowd was enormous. Think about this just a little bit with me. When it comes to food around here, there is someone that is always doing the calculations for us. In fact, that reminds me, have you made your reservation for Wednesday night supper? (laughs) Somebody is always figuring how many people are going to show up Um, When we get together and we uh, provide assistance at Rebecca's Cafe, 
Um, and it pains me to think that it is not functioning right now because of the uh, problem with the, the roof that is leaking and has caused mold there. Hopefully we can work through this and come to an answer very shortly. Uh, but when we are preparing, we are calculating in our minds, well, how much spaghetti will it take to serve 120 people, you know? Or how much, how much uh, chicken or how many pork chops will it take to serve this many people? And what happens if only 80 show up um, what will we do with the leftovers? But, oh, and then everybody looks at each other and says, but what if 140 or 150 show up? What will we do in that moment because we might not have enough? But I've never been at Rebecca's Cafe when there wasn't enough. There was always a way of making ends meet. It's such a beautiful expression of grace. Here I've seen the same thing happen, especially when we gather families after a funeral and how the families are clinging to each other in their grief and come into our fellowship hall. Many ladies within the church will have volunteered to take care of them and to provide a meal. This is the Southern way of saying I love you. And as they are gathered there in the fellowship hall, there is this mad scramble of persons that are trying to get everything ready uh, so that the family can come through the line and serve themselves. And always there is this sense of tension as to how much food is there in relationship to how many people are there. Now again, I've never seen that table actually run out of food. I will say I have seen it come close a couple of times. And you can bet that the ladies are sweating that are providing this feast, this gathering, because they want to know. And if they are told that 20 people are showing up and actually 40 show up, it creates panic in their minds. But because of their hard work, And because of God's graciousness, it never fails that there is enough for those that have gathered. Now, in this situation, Matthew tells the story. And this is fascinating because this this story is included in all four Gospels. There are not many miracle stories that are included in all four Gospels, but all four Gospels are telling of this miracle. And as Matthew tells it, he says, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now think about this, what he's saying, because our focus is on the 5,000 men that he has referred to. But he is saying, besides the women and the children, it sounds to me as if he is saying that there are more than 5,000 women and children that are there. And there happen to be 5,000 men in the mix of this group. If you try to do the numbers on this, you're talking about maybe 12, maybe 15,000 people, maybe more than that, that are gathered for supper that evening with Jesus and his disciples. Can you imagine how overwhelming that would have been? And so looking at this situation, You might see it a little differently. 
When you think about these baskets, I mean, (laughs) 12 baskets at this point looks pretty meager, doesn't it? When you think about 15,000 people and their leftovers. How many times have I preached this passage of scripture in a capital campaign or in a false stewardship emphasis? And you may hear it again from me about the abundant blessings of God. But in my reading of this passage right now, I believe that the focus is not on the basket so much. In fact, I think they cut it pretty close with 15,000 people. (laughs) But not a soul went away hungry that day. And that's a miracle. How many of you have ever been at a place in your own life where you thought to yourself, I don't know that we're going to make it. Our financial need is greater than our financial situation. And I don't know how we're going to make it. You found yourself in prayer asking for God to bless you. You worked hard with what you had. And after the storm had moved through your life, you looked back on it and you said, I can't believe it, but we made it. How many of you have ever had that experience and known that God was somewhere in the mix? Those disciples, when they were reflecting on this story, as they were thinking about it, it doesn't matter so much how the miracle happened. They were knowing that God had blessed them with sufficiency, more than abundance. He had blessed them with sufficiency. Whether it happened that these women that were gathered there, I mean, men will come and just sit down at the table and expect that it's just supposed to happen, you know? The women that were there, no, they were packing. And I'm not talking about guns here. They were packing supper. They were packing supper when they came. And however it happened, these women were busy with the sharing of this meal. However it happened, it was a miraculous event. It's easy to get distracted. I want you to remember that's so important to what was going on here is Jesus' compassion for the vulnerable. The gathering of people by inspired hospitality. Jesus was creating a significant place of welcome and that takes a lot of work. Can you imagine the disciples serving 15,000 people. When we get 12 people together, we work ourselves to death to serve 120 who come to Rebecca's Cafe. Can you imagine? It takes a lot of work. And can you imagine how busy they were and worn out at the end, but how they never ever would have forgotten how Christ had blessed them. I want to ask that this week that you be aware, where is God calling you, you, to care for the vulnerable?
Do you think that there are not enough resources at your fingertips that you could do anything? How is God calling you to trust in his abundant provisions and his sufficiency? And finally, let me ask you very personally, how are we creating this place of welcome for those who are vulnerable in our community?